Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about corn rootworms. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll get to this corn rootworm thing here in just a little bit, but uh, we're, we're going to want to start today with our Ag PhD mailbag uh, in, in just a second. I just first want to say, if you have snow on the ground yet, you may be thinking, oh, I've got plenty of time. It's going to be a while before the snow melts and then things dry out and then I can actually do work. I would just really encourage you, think about spraying early possibly even spreading fertilizer early because the ground like on our own farm I'll just I'll tell you what we're going to be doing hopefully later this week the ground will not be fit to plant it'll be cold and I like that and here's why if the nighttime temp is let's call it 25 degrees and the daytime temp is 40 45 whatever what that means is right away in the morning we can get out there and do a little bit of work get a little spraying done and then in the afternoon when the ground is thawing then that whatever we sprayed will attach itself to soil so you can't do this everywhere and i'm not suggesting you do this on all your acres but to get at least some of your work done boy it's worked out great for us in the past when we put it in the right spots so we've talked about this from time to time on ag phd tv and radio here and I, I just encourage you, if you've not done this before, at least be thinking about that. And either way, even if you don't do it, my whole point here is um, it's spring now, officially. <laughs> and even though there might be snow on the ground, it will not be long until that snow is gone. For example, for us, I just drove about 100 miles south yesterday. Well, I get 20 miles south, there's almost no snow. I get 40 miles south... There's really almost no snow. And I get 60 miles south, there is no snow. So that line just keeps moving further north every day. And a lot of people around here have been thinking, oh, I got plenty of time, plenty of time. Well, that usually happens until the day when you don't have plenty of time. And then it's like, uh-oh, I should have been going earlier. So I just encourage you, get your plans finalized, consider spraying early, get things picked up, get ready to go. Spring is here. Okay, let's hit the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right. First question comes from Colin in South Dakota. And uh, Colin asked the question, would we be ahead strip tilling in our phosphorus or rather than the expensive machine and more time to get across each acre that you're going to spend on strip till, would you be better just broadcasting extra fertilizer with that money you would have spent on strip tilling? So he runs okay. through a few numbers here and he said it takes... It costs them, they figure, $20 an acre more to strip till versus just having someone spread the fertilizer on top of the ground. And he said that would amount to, at today's prices, roughly 60 pounds a map that he could put out there every year if he wasn't doing the strip till and spending the same money. Yep. I agree with that. But here's the problem. Phosphorus doesn't move in soil. So if you don't do tillage, and I, I read Colin's email too. He said they only do tillage maybe once every 10 years or something. They try to be no-till, no-till or strip-till. Um, if you only do tillage once every 10 years, that means that once every 10 years, your phosphorus is actually going to get in the ground. So I'd look at this a couple different ways. The first way is we like strip-till, 
because what we found, we did a long-term study on our farm, and we found that we needed to increase the PNK rates by 50% in broadcast to get equivalent yield, and we had to do that for 11 years in a row, and then we finally caught up. So then you didn't have to do that. Then we were actually gaining yield. So we were building the soil tests the whole time, and we were doing broadcast and putting on 50% more fertilizer, but the yields were not going up. So what I'm saying is, yeah, not only would you have to take that $20, you'd probably have to take more than that even to get equivalent yield. But that's when we were working the ground. If you're not working the ground, I don't care how much you spend. Spend $200 on phosphorus. It's still not going to help your crop as much as whatever phosphorus you're putting in the ground for strip till in the short term because phosphorus doesn't move in soil. Even potassium in Collins area where it's dry and heavy soil uh, the potassium's not going to move down very well either. So if it's me and that's my only choice is I'm going to strip till or I'm going to no-till broadcast, well, I'm going to strip till. I, 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 and eventually, it might be 20, 30 years down the road, eventually you'll catch up with that, that whole broadcast thing and you'll have more fertility there and it'll all be great. But here's the other thing that Colin threw in when he said, we'll till once every 10 years or so. Okay. Honestly, if it's me then, I may consider an alternative plan that you you might call this completely nutso, but I just want you to at least think about this. I might, instead of, let's call it five, every five years, let's say we're going to tillage every five years, I might consider putting on five years worth, and I know, Darren, you're especially going to think this is nuts, but I might consider putting on five years worth fertilizer all in one shot and tilling it all in all except for the leachables like nitrogen, sulfur, boron. So that would be another approach. I I know that's very radical, but what I'm trying to say here is you can throw all the phosphorus, zinc, copper, and probably even potassium out there that you want for many years, and you're not going to equal what you can do with that strip till because you've now placed it down where it needs to go in the ground. So. It's just so amazing in drought years when you see those yep. roots chasing, uh, just going down faster because you've you've eliminated compaction yep. underneath where you ran exactly. those strips. Yep. And we're seeing by the time we're getting 4-inch tall corn, 12-inch deep roots, that's a big deal. Because a lot of times in oh, South Dakota, we, even. We, we get a good start to the year. We have a little moisture. We get germination. We get seeds to start. Then it gets tough after that. Well, if we've already got roots down a foot... We're going to find some moisture just about every year, and and that makes a huge difference. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, there are other alternatives that we didn't talk about. Let's say you strip till once every two years or four years or whatever. Do something to get that phosphorus and the other nutrients that don't leach. I, I mean, like I said, potassium isn't going to leach much in your condition or in your situation, uh, but zinc doesn't leach, copper doesn't leach. Uh, I mean... We, we have a number of nutrients that they're just stuck where you put them. So we got to keep that in mind, too. It's a little bit different than with the leachables. Stay tuned. We'll talk corn rootworms right after this. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro. The future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about corn rootworms on our show, and we're also going to take your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's start our conversation off here with corn rootworms. We've got Troy Bauer with us right now with BASF. Troy, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing today? Well, pretty good. Uh, you guys got a lot of exciting stuff you're working with here. And uh, yeah, when I saw your name pop up as someone uh, about corn rootworms here, I thought, ooh, this could be a fun discussion. What what do you got cooking today, Troy? Yep. So uh, as we know, corn rootworm is one of the top insect pests that we see in the Midwest for the uh, corn growers out here. And uh, typically growers uh, will uh, use rotation to uh, uh, really help keep uh, that in check. But if they're in a corn, uh, continuous corn type situation, they're probably relying on some other things as well. And BASF is definitely here to help uh, with uh, those situations. All right. Talk to us about insecticides then, because uh, like you mentioned, rotation's one piece. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to have any corn rootworms, but you're likely to have a few less than if you're going continuous corn, or if there's lots and lots of corn right around you. Uh, obviously, farmers are looking at traits as part of this solution, but even the traits aren't perfect, so so we likely need some help from some insecticide. You bet. Uh, from our standpoint, I guess uh, my specialty is seed treatment, and so uh, that's probably where I'm going to start first. Uh, we need to plan for... Uh, 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 stacking of the cards in our favor just as much as we can when we're uh, working against corn rootworm. And Poncho Votivo uh, is a, uh, uh, it's, it's really the best product in the marketplace. And uh, if you're targeting uh, corn rootworm, we really need to be using that Poncho 1250 rate on your seed corn. Uh, Poncho Votivo will protect your whole plant, both above and below ground, supporting for healthier plant performance, improving vigor, and uh, that will obviously uh, positively impact yield. So that 1250 component of Poncho 
provides uh, great activity on critical early season insects such as black cutworms, wireworms, grubs, and provides activity on the corn rootworm, which uh, in a corn-on-corn -corn situation are all commonly found. You know, one, one part of that uh, equation too, Troy, is votivo. And you think about nematodes, and a lot of farmers don't really test for nematodes in corn or aren't really watching that root system really closely for nematode feeding. And here's a nematicide that you may not even realize you're putting out there with your seed treatment uh, as you're delivering something with Pancho Votivo. You bet. Votivo is a, it's really a unique bacteria strain that will live and grow with the young corn root system. It prevents nematodes, including needle, root lesion, lance dagger, stubby root, sting, all those uh, uh, nematodes from uh, reaching that, uh, that corn root and causing damage, as well as uh, providing a healthier root system. Uh, so you'll have more moisture and nutrient uptake. So it's a really unique product out there. And I remember when that was uh, introduced in the marketplace, uh, growers really took that uh, uh, product quickly and uh, used it on quite a few other acres. Yeah, I think the uh, the reason that I brought that up is just I think guys are taking that for granted anymore that uh, they're looking for all these other alternatives out there when we've already got one that's working quite well and and you may already have access to that. There's a lot of seed companies that are utilizing Poncho and Votivo now, so uh, that's pretty exciting. And then also just uh, in the seed treatment space with BASF, your product Taraxa that's been used in wheat, we're pretty excited to see. Uh, what's happening with that brophanolide comment or uh, uh, active ingredient and potentially being a help for rootworms down the road here too? You bet. Uh, uh, Taraxa is a, it controls wireworms and that active uh, we've uh, brand name, named that Nerisma uh, to use uh, in uh, the corn market. It's a new mode of action for corn rootworm. It carries a caution uh, for use, so it's easier to handle. And it's it's better than a lot of the products currently in the marketplace. It's uh, better than the bifenthrin that we've uh, tested it against the last couple of years. So really exciting new product there as well. And uh, at BASF, we continue to strive to support the growers out there and uh, bring new innovation to the marketplace. Well, and, and you mentioned the coming at it from the seed treatment aspect, uh, just all the different modes of action now that are going in in terms of fungicides. We're getting better protection on a lot of diseases. And uh, if we can stop the rootworm, we can stop that feeding. We've got better disease protection. We just have much better chances of high yields and healthy plants all through the season. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would, I would say if growers have questions on these things, they really need to reach out to uh, their local agronomist, lo reach out to their local BASF rep, uh, let us provide the help that we can so uh, we can uh, maximize profitability for the growers in the marketplace. Troy Bauer with BASF, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today. Yep, thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Yeah, when we start talking about corn rootworms, it feels like the issue is worse here in the last few years. But Darren and I were talking over the break about how high some of the corn yields are now across the United States and around the world. Um, we're at such a dramatically different level than what we were 20 or 30 years ago. Maybe the rootworm thing is no worse. Maybe it's actually better. But the problem is it's taking that top end yield off. Well, now, now, now the top end is so high that it feels like we're getting a lot of yield loss in terms of bushels. And then you multiply that out times what's the price of corn today. This is a big deal. 
And we just encourage you, don't be thinking that this is a continuous corn problem. It is not just a continuous corn problem. Yes, the issue is going to be worse, and you definitely have to manage it when you're raising continuous corn. But like, I'll just give you the example of our area. A lot of people rotate corn and soybeans, but it's more corn than it is beans. Now, I don't know what the percentage is, 55 60% or more is corn. Well, there are a lot of rowworm beetles flying around, and they're not just flying around in cornfields anymore. You'll find them in soybean fields too. This is one of the reasons why we talk to guys about, hey, when you're out scouting your soybean fields, and I realize you might listen to people who tell you, oh, you have to have a gazillion uh, bean leaf beetles or let's say it's soybean aphids in order to justify spraying and i'm going look you can't just look at one bug first of all i think the thresholds are way too high that a lot of people put out because they're not looking at today's economics i mean it's two or three dollars an acre for a full rate of insecticide that's it you can throw it in with a herbicide or fungicide or fertilizer application so you can combine a trip. I'm just saying it doesn't cost much there. And then the risk is so great when you have high commodity prices. That's the first thing. But the second thing is look at all these other bugs. And you might say, well, corn rootworm beetles, they aren't hurting me at all in soybeans. No, they're probably not going to hurt your soybean yield at all. But what they're going to do, they're out there for a purpose. They're out there to lay eggs. Because for whatever reason, well, I think we know, it's the natural selection of things that those bugs are going naturally now to soybean fields because the, the insects survive the next year because people aren't using BT. They aren't using insecticide. They aren't using any control method in a lot of these first-year corn fields. Well, the rootworms, they thrive. Here's the other thing that I want you to think about. When we talk about corn rootworm control, volunteer corn is a tremendous host. It's just as good a, a host as when you plant a whole cornfield. I mean, sure, there aren't as many plants out there. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying here is most people that we talk to say, oh, I'm not going to spray my volunteer corn on my first shot post-emergent soybeans. I'm going to spray in my second shot. And I go, wait a second here. You're going to let that volunteer corn stay out in your field for six weeks or more? You can't do that because what's going to happen is now they're hosting corn rootworms and now you're going to have more problem as you go into next year. So what I'm saying here is it's a vicious cycle. If you don't solve your weed problem, all of a sudden you have more rootworms. If you don't kill the rootworm adults when they're over in your soybeans, they get the opportunity to lay eggs there and then you've got issues in your first year corn. There are a lot of reasons why we're seeing more corn rootworm problems, at least we feel like we're seeing more corn rootworm problems, and we haven't even talked yet about delayed diapause. A lot of the northern corn rootworm beetles, those are the ones that are green, they lay eggs that don't hatch the following year. They hatch the next year. So if you thought, oh, I'm going to rotate to soybeans, and then I'll rotate back to corn, and that'll solve all my problems with rootworms, no, that's probably not going to do it either. So we'll talk more about control methods with rootworms and what you need to look at on your farm coming up right after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season 
by visiting Corteva.us. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking about corn rootworms. And Brian was kind of painting a, well, a depressing picture there. Man, there are just a lot of reasons why rootworms are, are tough to fight. And certainly hey, when you're getting kinds, high yields, all kinds of they things can take attack, a lot of bushels. Yeah, all kinds of things attack our crop, though. And the more crop we raise, I assume the more fight we're going to get from insects, from diseases, from weeds, everything Mother Nature throws the kitchen sink at us uh, in any given year, it seems like. So you got to be prepared. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about a couple of these things. So we talked about rotation a little bit. Uh, we, we just briefly talked about traits, and we'll, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Uh, and we talked a little about some of the seed treatment things going on, but let's get into the insecticide just a little bit. We've got Eric Rebeck with us right now with FMC to, to talk about this. And Eric, here we are again, talking about insects. We're coming, coming right into your wheelhouse. Yes, you are. It's good to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, so talk to us about this corn rootworm problem, because Brian was mentioning extended diapause and 
Uh, we've got some resistance going on to some of the trades. We, we just got a lot of issues here that even if you're rotating crops, you could still have a problem. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, this particular insect is uh, its certainly a tough nut to crack with uh, all of its ability to get around all of our technologies that we kind of throw at it. So um, it really does emphasize a truly integrated pest management approach to try to tackle this one. All right, let's start off by talking about the larvae because uh, our bed is is pretty much made here going into this spring. If if there were adults yep. out there laying eggs last last summer and fall, uh, well, they're there. And so we're going to have to deal with these larvae. So we get one shot at it with planting, but there are a number of different ways that guys can go. We've got guys that have inferral capabilities. We've got guys that can lay things on top of the row, uh, two by two. We've got T-band. We've got just a bunch of different ways to put products out there, but we have a lot of guys that say, I don't have dry boxes anymore. I need a liquid option. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, to be sure. Um, so what, um, you know, what FMC provides are your at-plant in-furrow application uh, liquid insecticides um, with LFR technology, the liquid fertilizer ready, so they mix very well. Uh, with those fertilizers also applied with water in that furrow to tackle those larvae. But but you're right, there are a number of products out there uh, for at-plant application. Okay, when you talk about putting stuff in the furrow, and, and I like that you mentioned you could potentially add some water. We, we've got a Thrive 3D system on our planter, so we can put out um, that nice ribbon of foam right in the furrow. We don't have to fill that often, like once a day. It's a pretty slick system, but I get it. Not everybody has that Thrive 3D system. So they're looking for something like you're talking about Capture LFR, for example, the liquid fertilizer-ready version where you can mix it right with fertilizer. Here's the challenge I've got, Eric. I don't know that you're yep. going to get great coverage if someone's putting three gallons of fertilizer in the furrow. And then I've got other guys that say, well, I don't want to put 10 gallons of fertilizer in furrow. I think this is where you're getting at. You might want to just throw a little bit of water with that to, to even or to spread your coverage out a little more through the furrow. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're addressing that issue with regards to, uh, you know, the gallons per acre that we're putting out there. Of course, the more water, um, the more liquid you're putting out there, um, the higher volume, I should say, at application is going to get you further and um, and ensure that that even spread of product uh, uh, through the field. I think it really adds up, and I, I've seen it myself in fields where guys have tried it with too too low a volume. I, you need a little bit more yeah. volume to, to really spread and, and do the best job, just, just so you're getting even coverage on every seed out there. The other question that I get a lot, Eric, since I got you on the line here is, Zyway yep. fungicide. We've got guys that are excited yep. about Zyway. Oh, man, this has been great for us for fighting disease, but... Uh, last I checked, you didn't have a premix yet with Zyway and Capture. What What's the future for that? Is that coming in a few years? I'm sure you're working on it. Yeah, we, we certainly look at a number of different combinations. Um, certainly mixing a fungicide and insecticide in the same premix is not unheard of. Um, so that is certainly one potential avenue that we're looking at to kind of get that um, at-plant combination of both disease and insect protection. Remember, we do we do have ethos, um, which is uh, biofungicide mixed with uh, with basically capture uh, that bifenthrin product um, in much the same uh, capacity. Trying to get that 
below ground disease control as well as that that soil insect control the same in the same tank. Well, I think it's important to do something, especially like we talk about on this room. You can spray foliar fungicides if you want disease control later in the season, but you've got to put that insecticide out at planting time if you want to stop corn rootworm larvae. Now, let's just say that some of these larvae don't get controlled, Eric, and all of a sudden we've got adult beetles. What what yeah. do we have for options? Because it was really tough last year. That beetle emergence was over at least a month. And you can't be out there spraying multiple times. That's right. And so what you're kind of getting at is the benefit of having a long residual insecticide uh, applied at the proper timing, usually targeting that uh, 10% gravid female uh, population when they're laying eggs, about 10% of those females are. Um, and, and the product that we have is Steward EC, um, active ingredient there is endoxicarb. And we've got data that demonstrates up to 21 days, that's three weeks, folks, of uh, control uh, of those adult corn rootworm beetles uh, with one application of uh, usually about that 10 fluid ounce rate of steward is, is your best shot. Yeah, it's it's something where uh, I know a lot of growers that are, especially in continuous corn areas, say this has been a really oh, yeah. nice part of the tool uh, tool belt that you can go out there, do your best on the larvae. If any of them make it through, you can kill the adults off before they lay eggs, and, and they're seeing an impact in what kind of pressure they have the following year. If we do everything right, Eric, I know Brian talks about this a lot. He said, well, you can do everything right, and the neighbor might not, and you might have some beetles flying over, uh, but... Uh, if you do everything right, it should set you up in, in your rotation to, to be in a better spot. That, that's correct. And uh, FMC does offer an assurance program. If you do combine that, um, that, that late summer um, application, well-timed and steward for your adult control, followed in the spring in that same field with your capture or your ethos. So um, we do stand behind uh, that two-step approach to managing this very tough pest. Well, that's a, that's a great way to look at it. I know when we talk weed control, too, we're always trying to start with a pre and come back with a post and take at least two shots at tough weeds. So it, it sure uh, uh, is something that, that we encourage adopting when we're looking at tough insects like the corn rootworm. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I know it's a busy time of year, but uh, hope we can get you on again soon. Yeah, it sounds good. I'll, I'll be willing and ready. All right. Uh, Brian, corn rootworm hit a few things there. You look like you're about to jump on the mic. Yeah. Well, I, I guess there are many things you can do for corn worms. Here are our suggestions. If you've got a massive problem, use SmartStacks Pro. Now it's really expensive. I get that. But that RNAi technology in there is great. So not only do you have the BT of SmartStacks, so it's multiple BTs, but you have this RNA interference. And the thing is, it will end up not allowing that rootworm to produce a protein that it needs to produce in order to live. So basically, you've got two different modes of action, the BT and then this RNAi. Now, if you want to just use BTs like SmartStacks or something, you can certainly do that. We are seeing a fair amount of resistance to that, which is why a lot of guys are doing SmartStacks or some BT product plus insecticide. Now, the dries are just a little bit better than liquids, but the dries also cost a lot more than the liquids, too. So, like on our farm, we are using liquid. You can do whatever you want. Uh, obviously, you can certainly rotate away from corn, but like on our farm, we want to raise corn. So, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to use some Smart Stacks Pro, going to use some Smart Stacks with insecticide. And then here's the other big thing. And I talked about this a little bit earlier with adult corn rootworm beetles in soybeans. 
you got to kill them early, but you need to do the same thing in your corn fields. The thing is, if you see adult corn rootworm beetles anywhere, number one, that tells you, hey, you've had a corn rootworm issue. And number two, you've got to get them under control quickly. You don't want them to mate and lay eggs. If you wait until, oh, there are more beetles that are going to show up. Well, the problem with that is once they start laying eggs, you're already too late. It's a revenge kill. You didn't do yourself any good. So as soon as you see rootworm beetles in any crop, go kill them. That way, they can't lay eggs and cause you a problem for the next year. Oh, and we also mentioned control volunteer corn early wherever that shows up so it's not a host for corn rootworms. Stay tuned. We're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. 
been talking about corn rootworms, but we get a bunch of Ag PhD mailbag questions. You can send your questions in either radio at agphd.com or you can just call us. Our phone lines are open throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, ready for some of these mailbag questions? Okay, first one comes from Zach. He said, all right, guys, I farm out in western South Dakota. I've got CECs between three and six. And, uh, and I've got irrigation. I'm hoping to make some spring strips, uh, strip till, uh, because I'm grazing my corn stalks over the winter. Now, I've got one tractor uh, that's big enough to pull an eight-row strip till machine. And unfortunately, my tires are set on 90 inches because I use it for haying as well. This means I would drive right over a couple of those strips. That doesn't sound good. No, I have the option. I could move those wheels in and out, but it is a lot of work. Just yep, curious, since you guys have been through this before, uh, think I'll get by with it in this light three to C- six okay. CEC soil. Okay. The key statement he said there was get by with. Can you get by with it? Of course you can. Are you going to maximize yield? No, you're not. So it's up to you. The problem is when we're talking eight row strip and two of those rows you're going to drive over, that's 25%. So if you want to take a little yield hit on 25% of your acres, you know, you certainly can do that. We're not going to say that it's going to be anything enormously huge in that really light soil, but is it going to be something? It probably is. Now, how big that's going to be and and which year it's going to make the most difference, I would say the, wet, the wetter years, more of a difference, or I shouldn't, shouldn't even say wetter years. When it's wet, when you're doing the strip till, that's going to cause you more problems than when it's dry. But when you stop and think about it, okay, you're going to do the strip till, then you're going to go along and plant. That means that each one of those rows, and I'm guessing you do not have an eight-row planter, so you're not going to hit this exactly the same in every pass or anything like that. And maybe you will. Maybe you have some way you could set it up. But where I'm going with this is you're now going to be dealing with different conditions in two of your eight rows when you're planting. So I don't like that either. We're usually trying to create a uniform seedbed, not an inconsistent seedbed. So, yeah, I got a lot of concerns, but, again, can you get by with it? Of course you can. So if you really wanted to test it out, you'd have to harvest literally every one row, just I'm not saying on very many acres, but on a few acres, and then you'd be able to see, okay, how big of a yield penalty did I suffer there? Now, the flip side is also it's possible that you could actually have in a certain year some yield gain by driving over that. I doubt it, but it's possible. So anyway, no, I don't like it. I wouldn't do it. I'd I'd move my, my tires and go through that painstaking work or get another tractor if I had to or rent a tractor for a little bit. I'd do something to try to figure that out. Um, but you can certainly do it if you want. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I get this from John up in Quebec, and he said, Guys, I want to ask you about Roundup uh, along with your three pre's. So we're in a no-till, strip-till situation here, planting soybeans, and we've been using one liter of, roughly a quart, of uh, Roundup in with our burndown, and it's been working really well. I'm just curious, uh, could I get by with a lower rate? Do I need to keep it up at that Roughly a quart. 
Um, oh, and he said, you, part of my question here is you've talked in the past about the loss of efficacy with the Roundup when you're mixing certain other chemicals with it. Uh, would the three pre's qualify in that regard? No, it would not. So you're not going to lose anything by putting it with the three pre's. But here's the challenge. Let's talk about where you farm. Quebec is not exactly known for being this oasis of sun and heat. Okay, so it's cooler when you're spraying a lot of times. And we often will say with Roundup, you need to increase the rate by 50% compared to normal if it's still on label. When the nighttime temperature within two days before or two days after spraying is going to be below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. That's commonly going to happen for you. So here's the backwards way to figure this. Okay, I'm spraying a quart. That in effect means that I'm only getting about 20, 21 ounces worth of effectiveness already. 20 or 21 ounces of effectiveness is not great on mini broadleaves. Real good on grass, but not great on mini broadleaves. So nope. I would not be cutting. If anything, when it's cool, I would be increasing the rate. So, yeah, if literally all I was at, if, if I had some other great burn down there for broadleaves, you know, I, I could maybe shave a few ounces off, but the price of glyphosate is going to be going back down in the next year. I think we'll be back to pre-COVID levels here by next spring. I'm talking about the price of glyphosate. So I, it, it's no big expense. Uh that's kind of the way I'd look at it. And the problem with the three pre's, sure, Valor Authority has some burn down. Metribuzin has some burn down. Are either one of them, or even in combination, are they going to be perfect on a lot of your broadleaves? No. They're going to help that roundup, just not going to be enough by themselves. So you need that roundup in there, and you probably need that court rate, if not even more, as the resistance or at least tolerance issue grows with glyphosate. All right, thanks for the question, John, and good luck with your uh, your pre-emerge for your soybeans. Uh, i get this one from Kevin down in Nebraska. He said, I've got 15 acres of cereal rye that I planted last fall on dry land pivot corners. The rye is starting to green up now. Oh, you lucky duck, uh, Kevin. <laughs> ours is still, ours would still be underneath. Uh, Nebraska. Oh. Ours would still be under some snow, Kevin, so you're lucky. So that's good. It's greening up. But his question is, uh, how much urea and ammonium sulfate do I need to apply to reach 70 bushels of yield on these pivot corners? Now, if you just look at the charts, 70 bushel rye needs 154 pounds of total nitrogen. So that's 2.2 pounds per bushel. The number that I don't have, Kevin, is how much nitrogen is in your soil. And if we had a, a nitrate test to see what's out there, we could have a pretty good idea of how much more to apply. But yeah. whatever you've got yeah. in the soil. And or soil organic matter, what's going to come available in the soil. Yeah. Now, I'm guessing these dryland pivot corners are lower CEC and not a huge okay. amount of organic matter, but I don't know without a soil test. Okay. So he's saying 70 bushels of rye, not 70 bushels of corn after the cereal nope. rye cover nope. crop? 70 okay. bushels just of rye. just to make sure I was he's clear. He's just going to grow rye in gotcha. those corners. Got gotcha. you. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that, Kevin. I got another strip till question. This one comes from Wayne over in Southwest Iowa. He said, I'm a strip tiller here because of hills. I don't plant on the strips all the time. And I often hear you uh, say to apply removal rates when stripping yep. and then broadcast rates if you want to build soil values. Yep. I'm using 31010 
for my strip till running eight inches deep. I've been at 15 gallons for years. Is that enough for a removal rate? Will more than that burn roots? Uh, been variable rate application on poor ground up to 18 gallons per acre, and I've been pleased with my yields. My CEC is around 20, and 31010 weighs 10.2 pounds <laughs> per was, gallon. I'm glad he said that, because uh, otherwise I was like, I don't know what that's going to weigh. I was just going to figure 10. I'm also dribbling on 5 gallons per acre of 624.6 in a 2x2 two two on both sides of the row. Oh. So it's all okay. liquid. Yeah, I got you. Um, no, you're not putting on re- removal. So what, well, what do you so say for yields? Yield. We didn't hear what your yields were yeah. here. Oh, right? I, so okay. I was, what, let's that, that let's was just say it's 200 question. and just figure from that. Just okay. 200 bushel yields. Okay. All right. So I'm pulling up the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. We're looking at corn. So you can do this yourself if you want. It's a free app. Uh, corn, 200 bushels. I'm going to remove. Um just with the grain only, I'm assuming we're leaving all the residue out there. 70 pounds of phosphate and 50 pounds of K2O potassium. With your 31010 at 15 gallons, you're getting, let's see, roughly that would be, so you got 150 pounds worth of material, 10%. So it's 15 pounds of phosphate and 15 pounds of K2O potassium. So you're well short of what you're removing from that soil. It'd be, I'd like to see the soil test. Oh, and but that 624.6, you're going to gain back some of that phosphorus. But even so, you're, I mean, you are not putting out removal. So you are mining your soil. Not that, I mean, you can certainly do that if you want to, but I'm just saying you are not putting out enough for grain removal. We'll get to more of your questions right after this here on Ag PhD Radio. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey! Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting real. But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming! We've got Verdict Herbicide! Verdict Herbicide? Yeah! It's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, well then. Get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, 
and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. back you're listening to ag phd radio right in the middle of the ag phd mailbag time we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com get this email in uh from sa said guys uh, i'm in indonesia and we've got low soil ph we've got really intense and heavy rainfall I just want to buffer my soil to try and keep it more neutral in pH so I can raise better crops. So I'm curious. I've got access to dolomite lime uh, that actually has uh, a decent amount of sulfur in it as well. Could that be a solution to this problem? And the other side of it, too, could I also potentially increase my soil porosity even as I'm putting calcium and magnesium on? Uh, I, I So... When we say dolomitic lime, that means it's higher in magnesium. That doesn't mean we know exactly how high in magnesium it is, and we also don't know how heavy his soil is. So let's put it this way. If it's light soil, and a lot of times we're talking 10 CEC or less, we like seeing that cation exchange capacity, or we I should say the magnesium percentage on a base saturation test up near 20%. So it helps hold more moisture. When we have heavy soil, especially when that cation exchange capacity is above 20, we like seeing that magnesium percentage down closer to 12% or so. The reason why is we want less mag- the reason why we want less magnesium is we want more calcium there. Calcium makes the soil more porous. Magnesium is going to tighten that soil up a little bit more. So I I don't know um, what all is in this soil? I'd like to see a soil test, but yes, you're going to bring that pH up when you put on any type of lime, whether it's calcitic lime, that's the stuff that's high in calcium, or dolomitic lime, still high in calcium, but also high in magnesium. Either way, yeah, you'll raise that pH, but in terms of will I make it more porous? Maybe. Um, we know you're getting more calcium out there, so that's going to help. But I don't know how high your level of magnesium is, and I don't know how high I want it to be. That's my concern because I don't know your cation exchange capacity. So anyway, yeah, I got some concerns, but I know this. If you have really low pH, that's killing your yield. So you got to do something. 
at least killing your yield with most crops. And it does vary depending on the crop you're going to raise. So for example, alfalfa we often talk about, I mean, that requires soil pH to be around seven or even higher. Whereas let's say you're raising blueberries or even we found um, wheat and certain small grains might be okay if let's say I was down into the upper fives uh, and certainly low sixes. So all depends on the crop. All right. Thanks for the questions. I, I got this one in from Joel and we had uh, answered a previous question here uh, a week ago. He said, guys, I'm in the northern Red River Valley along the Canadian border. Average yields 140 to 170 bushel corn. Best years, we can touch 190, maybe even 200 bushel corn. In 22-inch rows, we're currently seeding at 35,000 population on corn. I'd asked about seeding rates, and during your comments about that, uh, you said you'd love to see my soil test. So I'm sending you a soil test right now, and also just an additional comment, which you probably already knew. Corn maturities in this area, typically 78-day corn to 83-day corn would be our full-season stuff. Okay, so yeah, I looked at the soil test here, and I have a few concerns. First of all, your phosphorus is 13 parts per million. That's too low. Your chloride is really high, and your sulfur is pretty high. Now, the reason why I'm bringing that up is as soon as I see that, that when we're talking leachables— I right away am thinking, hey, what's going on here? Did we way over apply something or do we have a drainage issue? Well, it would not surprise me if there's a drainage issue here because the cation exchange capacity says 37. And when I look at the soil pH in the top six inches, not bad, 7.1, but you get down to six to 24 inches, eight. So I'm concerned that things aren't flushing out real well. Right now, for example, your sodium is 0.9%, and that's fine. I'm not complaining about that at all. It's just that's kind of where I want to keep that. And what I worry about is if we have more drainage issues in the future, that could be more of a problem. You start getting sodium, especially above 3%, and now you're dinging up yield. But anyway, yeah, the salts are starting to climb, it appears to me. Chloride's up, sulfur's up. I mean, these things should be leaching out. Um, I I mentioned already phosphorus is really low. I'd say with zinc, too, you're at one part per million. Now, a lot of times we talk about this ratio of 10 to 1, roughly, with phosphorus to zinc. So, I mean, actually, you're there right now. You've got the right ratio. It's just you're really short on both nutrients. Here's another thing with zinc. It's going to give you better tolerance to frost. Now, there are a few other nutrients, too, that I think of, whether it's boron or potassium. But, I mean, zinc is probably the number one element I think about with frost protection, you probably need that where you farm. So if it's me, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to bump the phosphorus. I'm going to bump the, the uh, zinc. The good news is like with potassium that we usually talk to people about that, oh boy, we're really low. You have 442 parts per million. I'm not saying that's, that's perfect. Um, You're only at 3% base saturation K because your calcium and magnesium are so high. Your magnesium, by the way, is at 35, 35. Now, I'm not ridiculously alarmed by that, but when I see cation exchange capacity is really high and magnesium is really high, that almost always indicates to me that we've got that poor drainage issue. But along with that, 
the reason why I want, I'd continue pushing the potassium, because a lot of people are going to say, oh, you're very high and you don't need any more potassium. You can cut back on that and spend more of your dollars on phosphorus. No way. When you have magnesium that high, your magnesium to potassium ratio is way off. So in terms of parts per million, you're at 1,572. Where we found the best yields is when our magnesium to potassium ratio is 2 to 1 or 1 to 1 in that kind of range. You're right now at over 3 to 1. So you're not going to get the potassium into that plant that you should, even though it looks like, yeah, you got lots of parts per million. So that's my quick evaluation on your soil test. So if it's me, my first dollar is going to go to tile. My second dollar is going to phosphorus. My third dollar is going to zinc. And then over time, I'm just going to work on maybe hoping that my magnesium is going to fall because I've improved my drainage. Because with all the sulfur you have out there, and it's not a ridiculous amount, but you have an excess right now, that will most likely bind with the magnesium and start flushing that out very slowly over a long period of time. Some people will try to accelerate that by putting gypsum on once they fix the drainage. You don't have to do that, but it may help you some in the future. All right. Thank you for uh, sending us that soil test. We do appreciate that, Joel. Uh, David has a question. He said, I'm switching chemical suppliers this year. I'm just curious if I send you my programs. Could you help me out with that? I'm just curious if I could get programs recommended similar to what I've previously used or if you guys would have some different ideas. Oh, so you didn't send us the stuff? No. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's literally what we do every day is talk about uh, what could you possibly change or improve and I mean, everybody does things a little bit different, but usually we can give you some suggestions, whether it's fertility or, like in this case, crop protection products. Hey, one thing to watch for, too, as you're switching suppliers, David, is just seeing if they just work with one ag chem manufacturer or if they yeah. work with all of them. Because uh, a lot of times you'll hear programs that will say, well, this company, maybe it's Corteva, they've got the best post-emerge in this case, but BSF has the best pre-emerge. Or, hey, there's a generic alternative to the fungicide that's going to work best for you over here. I mean, we, we pretty much look at what is going to work the best and what's going to be uh, the cheapest to get to. And that might vary a little bit depending on where you're at, but uh, those would be good questions to ask suppliers. Do they handle the generics as well? Do they handle the name brands, that kind of stuff? And, and how many of the different manufacturers do they work with? All right. Um, I had a, a question here. This is from Troy. He said, I'm planting a food plot for deer. I've got clay soils, get some heavier soils, uh, and I want to plant corn. I'm just curious, is field corn the best to use? Would sweet corn offer any advantages for us? And also in the past, I've had problems with my corn starting off great and then turning light green. Is that a nitrogen issue or could it be something else? Uh, it's probably nitrogen. If you send us a soil test, we can maybe help you with that. I, I guess I don't really know, Darren. Maybe they do prefer sweet corn. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm no deer expert, but I I'm, know they I'm, love field corn. They sure eaten enough of ours. I'm not either, but I would say this. Field corn is usually a little tougher, and normally you're not putting a food plot in somewhere that's going to be like By your tougher, garden. you mean it will survive in varying soils. Yeah, and, yes. and in tougher environments like, hey, it's not going to rain. Drought, you're not yeah. going to have the perfect weed control. I mean, you aren't worried about that. You're just worried about feeding deer. I'd plant field corn that's normal for your area. And thanks for the question, and thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.